but um, I thought about a, a lot of you have expressed you, you like winter. Others of you, I think you probably feel a little captive, held captive by winter. I know there are some that suffer from the uh, sun disorder, or I should say the lack thereof, sun disorder, and I know that can sometimes be hard, and, and we can kind of feel like we're held captive. And I, I think about that with our cows as they sometimes, and well, no, they, they get corralled before uh, deer season starts because it's pretty interesting the the uh, issue that some people have when they put on orange all of a sudden deer deer uh, or cattle look like deer and 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 that's never really been figured out we've never had an issue personally but we always do that just as a safety and so we corral them up and and then I think about them when we let them out in the spring because they probably feel like they're captive too and how many of you have ever seen cattle let out on pasture in the springtime it's an absolute riot because you look at these cows and bulls, you know, weighing anywhere from 1,500 pounds on up, kicking up their heels. And you wonder how in the world do they muster that much strength to get their big bodies lifted into the air, but they do. And you think about a, a bucking bronco type of thing, it's kind of the same thing. That's what the cattle do when you let them on a pasture. It's quite a scene. And I was hoping to find a video to demonstrate that, but I say all of that to say that the, the message that we are or the psalm that we're going to be in this morning, it's, it's when the, the captives are released from um, Babylon. And, and I'm sure as we go in through this message this morning, you're going to see that similarity of where um, they were so excited to be released from captivity. And I think sometimes we feel that way as Minnesotans when springtime comes. Woohoo, we're free. We're no longer captives until the mosquitoes come. So, um, don't mean to be negative this morning, but it's just the reality. But we are continuing our series in the book of Psalms this morning, and we're going to be in Psalm 126, 126, if you want to turn there in your Bibles. Uh, we're going to go through a, a fair amount of scriptures, so it's going to take a little while. You may have to put your thumb in there until we get to it. But this, this passage is, is really a, a timeless message about God's loving kindness, his abiding faithfulness to all people who put their trust in him. And, and I titled today's message, read it for me, because God has done great things, because I didn't put it in my notes, because I still hadn't arrived at that until this morning as, as I was putting the slides together. But God has done great things. And I think most of us have a couple of psalms that, that really resonate with us. They're just kind of our, our favorites. We, we like to, to read them. And, and I'd have to say, if I had to provide a list, Psalm 126 would be one of mine as well. Um, it just speaks to my heart. It speaks about joy and restoration. But it also speaks about bringing the harvest in as well. And I think sometimes when we read the psalms, we can look at them as, as just a poem. Maybe a poem set to music and sung as a song like, like this one would have been in ancient times. But they're really far more than that. Many of them were written in response to a situation that had happened or maybe was happening in people's lives, and, and they were real people. And they were written by men inspired under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and therefore, of course, that means that they're useful to leading us on a path of righteousness. And so we want to be asking, what is God revealing about himself in this psalm? How can I apply it to my life? So before we get into the text, um, I just want to give you a, a backdrop for this psalm. 
the nation of Israel divided soon after King Solomon's reign ended. And they divided it, and it was divided between the north and the south kingdom. The north kingdom of Israel was conquered, and Judah was conquered second. And, and there were good kings, and there were bad kings, some that followed the commands of the Lord, some that were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. And after a time, both kingdoms ended up falling to other nations. Again, first Israel and then Judah. And many of the books of the prophets are an account of how God in his faithfulness sent warning to his people. Through chosen mouthpieces of God, the prophets, time and time again, would warn his people of what would come if they didn't stop their wickedness, their ways of idolatry, their immorality, if they would continue on those paths instead of turning to God. God was warning them through these prophets. And Second Chronicles chapter 36 records for us when a time of warning ended for Judah, just before they were taken over, as God's responding to his chosen people's wickedness. And I'm going to read this from the message, but Second Chronicles chapter 36, starting with verse 15. God the God of their ancestors, repeatedly sent warning messages to them. Out of compassion for both his people and his temple, he wanted to give them every chance possible, but they wouldn't listen. They poked fun at God's messengers, meaning the prophets, despised the message itself, and in general treated the prophets like idiots. God became more and more angry until there was no turning back. God called in King or Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, who came and killed indiscriminately and right in the temple itself. It was a ruthless massacre. Young men and virgins, the elderly and weak, all were the same to him. And then he plundered the temple of everything valuable, cleaned it out completely. He emptied the treasuries of the temple of God, the treasuries of the king and his officials, and hauled it all, people and possessions, off to Babylon. He burned the temple of God to the ground, knocked down the wall of Jerusalem, and set fire to all the buildings. Everything valuable was burned up. Any survivor was taken prisoner into exile in Babylon and made a slave to Nebuchadnezzar and his family. God had had enough and allowed another nation to conquer his people, a good father disciplining his children that their eyes would be opened to their wicked ways so that they would repent and turn back to their heavenly father. Beside the rivers of Babylon, the captives sat and wept tears of repentance as they thought of Jerusalem and how they had worshipped God there. They were sorrowful for their sin of turning away from God. God's people would remain in captivity for decades until the refining process was finished. Well, the time came for the prophecy to be fulfilled. The prophecy spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29, 10 through 14, again from the message this morning, says this is God's word on the subject. As soon as Babylon's 70 years are up and not a day before, I'll show up and take care of you as I promised and bring you back home. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the hope you hope for, or the future you hope for. When you call on me 
When you come and pray, I'll listen. When you come looking for me, you'll find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. God's decree. I'll turn things around for you. I'll bring back you back from all the countries into which I drove you. God's decree. Bring you home to the place from which I sent you off into exile. You can count on it. And the word of the Lord came to pass, just as it was spoken. But the Lord's people were taken by surprise as it came about quite suddenly. Second Chronicles chapter 36, 22 and 23 Read, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, this fulfilled the message of God preached by Jeremiah. God moved Cyrus, king of Persia, to make an official announcement throughout his kingdom. He wrote it out as follows. From Cyrus, king of Persia, a proclamation. God, the God of the heavens, has given me all the kings of the earth. He has also assigned me to build him a temple of worship at Jerusalem and Judah. All who belong to God's people are urged to return, and may your God be with you. Move forward. And just like that, the captivity ended. One decree, and they were told, go back to Jerusalem. The refining work that God had wanted to accomplish in the hearts of his people was accomplished. The Israelites were still, to some degree, under the rule of another nation, a nation that did not worship the one true God, but they certainly acknowledged his holiness and his power. Under the rule of another nation, the Israelites were sent back to Jerusalem, released from captivity to go back and rebuild the temple. It all happened so quickly. They were in shock in a good way. This came unexpected to them, even though they heard the prophecy recorded in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31.9 says, Tears of joy will stream down their faces, and I will lead them home with great care. Their tears of sorrow and repentance turned to tears of joy. And this is where Psalm 126 comes in. Because it's believed to have been sung as a song, actually one of a number that was actually in a psalm, a song book, they believe. Okay, not a book book, because of course they didn't have books, but would have been a collection of songs that we, they would have sung. And the collection was kind of like we would have our hymn books today. And these songs were sung as the released captives, the remnant, now made their way back to Jerusalem. They were overjoyed. Psalm 126, a song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seeds to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. So that would have been a song that they would have sung as they made their way back. They would have been filled with joy because God had released them from captivity. And I find it very interesting if we look at the, the text and, is that it starts out 
when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion. And then in verse 4 it says, Restore our fortunes, Lord. And we look at that and we think, well, did he or were they asking him to? Well, he did restore their fortunes in that when they left to go back to Jerusalem or Zion, the King Cyrus gave them all of the plunder that the king of Babylon had taken. And he sent it all back. Everything to adorn their temple, everything to do their worship services with, everything all went back. They lacked nothing. Their fortunes were restored. But as we go further on, in verse 4, it says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. And we wonder, well, what is that talking about then? And I am totally going off script here, so I have no idea where we're going to go. But um, it moves into talking about the captives in that they're going to go out harvesting. And so they recognize that not everybody's there yet. And we're going to talk a little bit about that more. But that's why it's that almost like a little contradiction. But they're basically talking about two different things. This psalm has been one of my favorites, and perhaps it's because I see my own life to some degree in it. I was once captive. Now, it wasn't to another nation. And maybe you felt this way too, that you were captive to something before you came to know the Lord. But maybe in some degree, God released you from your captivity, but yet you're still captive to some degree. And I think that's how I was, and that's why I can appreciate um, the psalm, is because even though I was saved, I still wrestled with so many things that I had to have God help me overcome that I was still, to some degree, held captive. And I guess if that's you this morning, I just, I just pray that, that you'll understand um, as I explain um, maybe a little bit of my story in this this morning, um, that release from captivity um, completely is a process. It just doesn't happen overnight. But, again, my captivity was not a, a na another nation, but was to sin and fear, mostly fear of failure. But Jesus released this prisoner from the darkness. He set this captive free, giving me the most precious and valuable thing God can give us, a restored relationship with him. And he poured out his fortunes on me, giving me a strong faith. Trust. Yes, even in the difficult times. And a desire to obey. It's like the Negev River in the psalm. It's dry in the summer. But when the autumn season comes, just a small rain can produce a great flow sending the river over its river banks. God poured out his riches on me. I hope some of you would say the same thing. We know that earthly riches will never satisfy. Our greatest fortune is knowing Christ. Now, I've had people look at me differently and and, and I, I recognize that, that they're seeing that the Lord has done great things for us. 
Some of that's come from conversation. But the Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. It's been said that the assurance of God's blessing is also an encouragement to be responsible, to not sit by idly waiting for God to come through. They had to go out and sow, praying that the Lord would be true. You see, the blessings that God has poured out on us are not for us to hide. They're for us to sow. To sow with tears of compassion for those who don't know yet don't yet know Christ. To sow with tears of humility for what God has done for us. Crop planters in biblical time only had the seed that they had saved. They couldn't run off to the seed store and get more seed if their harvest or if their planting didn't come up. They had what they had. And so they took great risk in planting all of their seed. I think we too take risk when we go forth with our seed, wanting to sow that spiritually, so to speak. We risk rejection, but the harvest isn't going to come in if we don't sow the seed. We may be convinced that continued labor, no matter how agonizing, difficult, frustrating, that our continued labor will result in more people coming to faith in Christ. We have been given seed to sow. And we sow seed when we demonstrate, in part, the fruit of the Spirit. Because where there's fruit, there's got to be seed, right? And so when we demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to those in our lives around us, fruit that's produced by the Holy Spirit as Galatians 23 or 22 and chapter 5 22 and 23 say the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness goodness, faithfulness, gentleness self-control he's the one who produces it in us but then we can then go and sow those seeds we sow them when we share the gospel the good news about Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross, defeating death, making payment for our sin. When we share the good news, we're sowing seed. We sow seed when we share scriptures with others, not done in a Bible-thumping way, but sharing a, a timely scripture of encouragement or a verse that was impactful to us. Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. Say, the rain and snow will come down from the heavens and stay on the ground to water the earth. They cause the grain to grow, producing seed for the farmer and bread for the hungry. It is the same with my word, God is saying here. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. It will accomplish all I want it to, and it will prosper everywhere I sent it. See, our responsibility is just to do the sowing, the planting of the seed. God's the one that will give the increase. He's the one who will make it grow. But God's word does not return void. And so we want to share the truth of, of Jesus because that's his word. We want to share those encouraging passages and verses with people when they're going through difficult seasons. 
the question this morning is, is what about you? Are, are you willing to go and sow seeds? To lay aside any fear of being rejected and realize that if you are rejected, it's actually the people rejecting Christ and not you anyway. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to let your heart break for those who don't have a restored relationship with Christ? And I think that's another part of why I feel that this is one of those psalms that just really speaks to my heart is, is I know what it's like to go out weeping, carrying seed to sow. I know what it's like to have my heart break when there's someone going through a difficult time and they don't know the Lord. And I just so want them to know his peace in their situation. I want them to spend all of eternity with Christ. It should make us weep as we go forth witnessing to people. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Will you be a worker? Will you be willing to go forth weeping with seeds to sow? There are people desiring to know the truth of the hope that we have. There are still people in darkness. And we know that Jesus can release the captives from the darkness. He can set the prisoners free. But they need to know his name in order for them to call on his name. It's not easy to witness. It's not easy to go forth weeping and carrying seed to sow. We're going to experience rejection and difficulties, discouragement, disappointments, fears, anxieties, hindrances. All of those things are going to be a part of it. But in time, our efforts will bear fruit. Everlasting fruit. The labor of sowing will produce a harvest. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. I was reminded this week that life is fleeting. Maybe there's people in your life, and Darlene, she knew the Lord, and I'm very, very thankful for that. But maybe there's people in your life that do not. We don't know how long they have. Only God knows the number of their days. Please don't let fear in sharing the good news of Christ stop you from reaching out to a loved one. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are filled with joy. We want to share that joy. You bow your heads with me. I just want to give opportunity if there's somebody here today that maybe knows the Lord but feels like they are being held captive by something. Again, maybe maybe it's fear of failure like it was for me. 
there's a lot of things that can hold us captive. And if you're here today and, and you are saying, I, I want to be set free, I want to experience fully the joy of my salvation, to recognize fully that the God that loves us so much has really set us free that we don't need to uh, stay in that captivity any longer. If that's you today, I just encourage you to just, just raise your hand. You don't have to say anything. I'm not going to call you forward. But if you're feeling like you're being held captive, that you are not able to live fully this life of faith, I just encourage you. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Lord, I, I lift up those that do have hands raised this morning. Lord, you know the situation. You know what's holding them back. You know the bondage that they're still feeling like they're in. And Lord, I just pray that as they come before you, and I'm sure it's not the first time that they've come before you, seeking, Lord, to be set free from what that is in their life. Lord, would this be the day that they would be able to walk completely in freedom before you, to have that thing in their life removed. And so, Lord, I just pray that for them this morning. And we thank you. Maybe you're here today and, and you realize that fear is holding you back from sharing the good news with others, that you're, you're hesitant to take the seed that God has given you and to, to go and sow it. You're afraid that you won't have the words to say or you'll be rejected. If that's you this morning, I again, I just encourage you to lift your hand. If you are hesitant out of fear of sharing the good news with Christ, of Christ, would you, would you just raise your hand this morning? I just want to pray for you as well. Thank you. Heavenly Father, I just lift those with hands raised to you this morning. Lord, I pray for a boldness for them. I pray that they would, would be not hesitant any longer in going forth and, and sharing the love and the joy that you have placed in their hearts, Lord. The fruit of the Spirit, Lord, that you are cultivating in them, Lord, that they would take seeds from that and share it with others. Lord, that you would just give them that boldness. Lord, that they would step out in confidence, fully knowing that you want that individual to be saved even more than they do, and that you, Lord, are going before them, already preparing the hearts, Lord, of those that you are placing on theirs. Lord, we thank you so much. Lord, we just lift them up to you. And Lord, we do recognize this morning that you have done great things for us. Lord, even in the midst of difficult times where, Lord, we're not even sure if, if we can pull ourselves out of that piled up heap and just keep going. Lord, you remain faithful. Just because life is crazy, that doesn't change how good you are. So Lord, we just thank you this morning your word. We know it does not return void. And so, Lord, if there was anything at all 
anything else at all, Lord, that you wanted the people to take home this morning. Lord, I know that you'll plant that in their spirits. Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I just encourage